Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. Today, I'm talking to Emmy Award winner Kevin Spiritus, who has spent years, among many other things, playing Dr. Craig Wesley on the iconic daytime drama, Days of Our Lives. Kevin recently returned to Days for a storyline that surprised many fans and, in many ways, is groundbreaking in nature. As hardcore fans already know by now, Dr. Craig Wesley, after many years of being married in a heterosexual relationship, comes out as gay. And all kinds of drama ensues. I think the storyline itself is important because I don't believe a longtime character on a daytime drama has ever come out in midlife, like Kevin's character does here. Not only does Dr. Craig Wesley come out, but along the way, so far, we meet the man he's fallen in love with, and, well, there's just a whole lot more that's happened. Regular listeners of The Randy Report know I've chatted with Kevin in the past, mainly about his multi-Emmy Award-winning digital series, After Forever, which you can view on Amazon Prime Video. And, one more thing for full disclosure... I've known Kevin from my acting days back in New York City, so you're going to hear our longtime friendship in the way we chat. We actually had a fun little catch-up when we first connected for this interview, so stay tuned after our chat, because there might be a little bonus something-something going on. But for now, here's my friend and Emmy Award-winning actor, Kevin Spiritus, to chat on all things Days of Our Lives. I would love to be coy about some other things I'm going to bring up because some, a lot of great things are going on for you right now. Yeah. But let's not be coy. The big news is that Dr. Craig Wesley is back in Salem and he's bringing the drama I, I am for real. And when I, you know, the minute I saw you're going back, I tune it. Thank God for Peacock because, you know, we have thank Peacock God. now. And I go to Peacock and I watch this review did you not know what was happening did you not know this was going to happen i did not know it was going to happen so so think about that i didn't yeah. know so i'm going to let you talk about it because the world knows now so we're not spoiling but you you get it what how did this happen so should, should we talk about the news first or how it happened first i think you have to say the news we have to say the news yeah. so dr craig goes well first of all nancy goes back nancy wesley your wife turns to salem my wife because chloe's down your daughter I didn't read the scripts before <laughs> I entered, so I don't know what was going on. Like she uh, wanted to go prior. help her daughter. There's a moment where uh, Nancy goes back to Salem to tell Chloe, our daughter, that she thinks that Craig Wesley is having an affair. Gosh darn it. And, and then I get involved. I fly out, and I'm there. And All right, let's just say the, hit, the chowder hits the fan. And, um, <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally. And I come out with a, uh, a confession of I am having an affair, and it's not a woman, it's a man. I'm gay. And Dr. Craig Wesley is gay. And Dr. Wesley is gay. Fantastic, right? Yeah. I, okay, so... Has this ever happened in daytime drama? No. This where, is, this where, like, a long-running character of your vintage, shall I say? Because I know there's the super couple. Will and Sonny are the super gay couple 
of daytime yeah, drama. They're young. Yeah, younger. it's a whole different they were, thing. They weren't straight first. They right. were. But I think what's extraordinary here is that I was just going to ask you: Do you have anybody in your circle or your world that came out late in life and they were married? I don't know anyone. I do. That we we've read stories, but no, no, I yeah, personally right. don't but I know, know anyone personally. who came out like at yeah. fifty or forty-five or anything. Or uh, I have some family people who um this has happened with, and a friend of mine, another friend. Mm-hmm. I don't know whose idea it was that this was going to happen with Craig. But I remember being on stage at the um, Pasadena Civic Light, uh, Civic Center, um, 2019 at the Emmy Awards. And After Forever had just taken home <clears throat> five historic Emmys for um, a drama. And I remember I saw Ken Corday and all the Days of Our Lives family down in the front row. I don't think they knew what the hell I was doing up there, but uh, it didn't matter. I was I was accepting an award. Best actor. Best actor, <laughs> which I shared with Mitchell Anderson. I brought him on stage. I remember just sort of saying, you know, in 2019, I can thank my leading man. You know, it, this is a full circle for me. This was not about uh, hiding anything. I knew who I am, who I, I know who I am. I know who I was going to always be. And when I stepped into that, the world just sort of, the noise went away, the, 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 the weight went away, the worry went away. And I ran into um, Ron Calavardi, uh, our head writer, out in the lobby at one point. Earlier that evening, he said, you guys did a great job. I mean, I really am a fan of the show. Congratulations. And this voiceless voice in my head said, I wonder if he's going to bring Craig back as gay someday. Because I was never on the canvas when he was there. Ah. I, I just sort of like, what a great storyline. I mean, here I am. Now I'm, you know, full circle. I'm, I'm not having to say anything, but this is who I am. And now I play a part that is who I am. Mm-hmm. So I really, I just can tell you that um, it was, it was really invigorating to step into this and to play against it. Because what does someone say? When they've made a commitment to somebody and they stepped into this marriage for 30 some odd years, and then they decide, I'm going to step out. And it's not because I don't love this person. It's just, I'm really, and now I'm ready to take on the responsibility of who I am and my sexuality. So there's a lot of that. Um, I mean, if you're caught up, you know that Nancy, Nancy was just like, what? I just was holding the space for you, you know, um, (laughs) right. And, you know, she's got the big hair still. So, you know, God bless her. Craig has to uh, withhold Craig's whole desire is if I don't say anything, we don't have to talk about it. It's just there. Right. And it's, it's a lie, but I don't have to admit it. And that's what I kind of had to go through. And she's tell me, you know, tell me, I think it's, I think the fans have been really split. I think they're, this is what I've heard, by the way. Like, I didn't know that. I Right before we got on here, I saw a little something, and I went to go check on some social media. And apparently, there there is some slip. Most of the things that I've read are supportive of you. They're, they're supportive people of a, a man coming out in midlife. They're supportive of me coming back to the show, Patrika, coming back to the show. They're supporting of the fun that, you know, they know is going to ensue. Right. And they are very excited and inspired by a storyline of this, of this nature happening. Then there's the fans of like, what a rotten thing to do. Right. You know, that's just evil. 
And, you know, he's always been a bad guy. So, you know, Craig deserves to burn in hell. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. But people are entitled to think what they want. I just, the truth be told, we're all the same. We come from the same place. We breathe the same air. And um, love is love is love. Well, and here's the thing for me is that more and more, for instance, and we'll get to After Forever in a second, your, your multi-Emmy award-winning series, but which has its own terrific reason for being because you portray men of a certain age, gay men of a certain age, uh, and you also bring up topics of, of, that aren't really explored in our demographic. But with you coming back and doing this, there are men who do come out in midlife. And I've never seen that explored in daytime drama. And I think it's important that this is happening. And I know it's going to upset people. But, you know, a lot of people say, well, if you're if you're getting a reaction, you're doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. And a, a couple of things I was wondering when they called you, did you know what you were coming back for? Because this isn't like showing up for a wedding. No. <laughs> Someone's no. wedding. I, I knew in my heart. I told Marnie Saida, the casting director, I saw her name come up on the phone. And I said, hi, Marnie. She says, Kevin. How are you? It's so good to talk to you. And are you going to have me come back? Is that what's going on? She says, Yes, yes, yes. We're going to bring you back. And it's a really great storyline. I just said, Craig's coming out, right? And uh, she goes, How did you know? You did not really. Wow. I did. I really, we had that conversation. And I, and I backtracked for her. I told her all about the Emmys and having that voiceless voice when Ron had said hello and congratulations. And I think it was time. I think it was time for the show to step into that. I think it was time for me to step in that you know when i got hired 20 some odd years ago i didn't come out and say hi by the way i'm homosexual and i'm playing a straight role i just it's i'm an actor first right, i'm a man right. first i'm a the slice is all over of, of defining who we are and that to me was the magic but now it's like you hear people go well of course look at this situation i mean i the day of a soap is true because that's what's on the page. I wasn't told that 25 years from now I'm going to come back and come out. I mean, they don't even have a storyline for next week. You know, it's a it's a day in the life of. So I just feel that it was a really wonderful thing to happen. I was kind of thinking, wouldn't it be great to kind of come back now because I could just have some fun with some people. And and Marnie said, Yeah, that's it. That's the that's what we're going to do. We're wow. Now, I, here's a couple of questions, because you were on Days of Our Lives for a long time, like 1997 to 2009 or something? Yeah, it equaled out to about seven and a half years. Yeah. I'm wondering, with social media now, and I know, like you mentioned, they don't, you know, they may not even know where they're going a week from now with the storyline or maybe a month from now. Do you think social media, that the fans being vocal, do you think that has any impact on writers, like where they take a story? Since this is kind of a, a new age versus when you left the show, like in 2009 or something? 2003. 2003. Uh, oh. Here's what I know. I think a, a, a writer, a head writer is going to try to conjure up story that is going to be entertaining, give you a high emotion and, and, and ex be exciting. You've got, I think there's about 70 people in the cast right now, 60 to 70 people. There's a lot of people in that cast. So they're all kind of rotating. And then you're not even in town anymore. So they got to rotate them in to get them. They're giving you these really great short arcs. I just think it was an exciting time to do it. And Ron had never worked with me as a, as a character. He got to write something for my character. And that was what was exciting to me is that he found a way to make characters that were already in the, in, uh, on the canvas of Salem 
his material now. I think it's great. I think it's great. You mentioned how many characters there are. And I know back in the day when I first got to L.A., I was doing some work on General Hospital every now and then. And the, the assistant casting director knew all of us from Broadway, and she would, like, try to help us get our insurance by bringing us in every now and then. And the, the cool thing for the people with daytime, who are fans of daytime dramas, there are different ways that they can shoot the show. General Hospital would do what they called block and tape. And mm -hmm. they, you go into the big soundstage, and, like, 12 different sets are up. And they would shoot all of the scenes like in the hotel lobby of that yep. episode, like one, two, three, four. And so we would do all of our scene and, and like as an extra or a day player, I would always like be in the same location because you're right. not going to see me at some mansion when I've been at the restaurant. But so for General Hospital, that's how they would do it. So we would do all of our scenes. So if you got called in at seven, you'd start at nine. You'd maybe be out by 10, 30 or 11. And woohoo, that's awesome. It's what, really, it's, it's, it flies by. With Days of Our Lives, how do they do their taping? And like, because do you do several episodes of your scenes at one time? Or do they try and compact the episodes all in one day? I think every soap now has kind of morphed into the, the high tech world of, that's the set where the cameras are. Let's do everything in that set if we can, because it's going to take extra time to move them over to the next set and then bring them back. So there's that whole idea. Yep. When I was doing the show originally back in 98, 90, whatever, we did it this way. That was new. That was new to me because when I had done a soap in 19, oh, oh, actually, actually Valley of the Dolls, they did this, they did the circle around, you know, we yep. the set, set to set. So you'd shoot in order. Yeah. But, Halfway through that pilot year, that 13 weeks, we went, here's, we're doing all the kitchen scenes. We're doing all yeah. the apartment yeah. scenes. It's easier for everybody because you're like, then you can just go. You can run through your stuff. And that's where you see them on a script, uh, mm -hmm. on a television scene. You're going to see Craig and Nancy in the, the Salem Inn. Right. And you're not going to always return to them. And they're like out in a blustery day somewhere, right. you know, running with coats. But it's a good feeling and it's a good, easy way to do that type of work. And the only thing I can say is because of COVID, we now did everything out of order. <laughs> we we shot first uh, first two days. We shot the end of something that I was actually going to uh, that's going to be on a Friday, and then the following Monday we did the beginning of the scene. I, I was You're so, kidding! Wow! No, no. And that's that's showbiz. It's scheduling. People were out of town for COVID and whatnot. <laughs> we were it was a new world out there you know you're getting tested every day you're getting swabbed and there's no coffee on the set and oh. no commentary and you can't talk to people without your mask it's funny that of all things i just saw an, an advertisement that sunny and will the gay super couple the young cute super gay couple on days of our lives mm -hmm. they're coming back now too so like days of our lives is suddenly doing this gay thing I'm going to say I don't think it's the gay thing they're doing. I think they are rotating stories. And because things are happening in certain storylines, you can have people chime in. Well, I like it better your way then. Because <laughs> I, to be honest with you, we have kind of evolved to a point where we shouldn't be thinking about, oh, it's the gay thing. We should just be thinking about the character thing of people who happen to be gay. And I think one day there'll be a thing where it won't even be about the gay. Right. At right. all. That's the interesting thing, too. Let me circle over to After Forever, your multi-Emmy award-winning uh, series, <laughs> which I'm so proud of you. Six? It's six, right? Including a best actor. The great thing about After Forever was when you started writing that with your writing partner, Michael Slade, who has now left us and we remember fondly. I remember you telling me the, the point wasn't to write a gay story. It was to write about people 
dealing with grief who happen to be gay and their circle of friends, which I thought was a great approach. And that's the that, that's the right approach, I think. That's exactly the right approach. I, it didn't start out that way. It started out that I wanted to, when Michael and I met each other in New York, because we'd never known each other on the soap, because he used to write for Days of Our Lives. I, I, just, I just remember I was chomping at the bit to write something that fit me. I, I didn't want to have to go and do a character and walk onto the set and, you know, twist my mustache and, you know, <laughs> wring my hands. and uh, I wanted to be Kevin. I wanted to wake up, walk on the set, continue walking, as I know, and do my, sh- my job. And that's, Michael gave me that. My, it, it morphed into a, a love story. That's what we wrote. I, I wanted to write a story about love. Two men, just happens to be two men. But the universal theme is that it's two men. One of them is now dealing with the loss of his life, the, lo- the loss of his love of his life. And everybody has a loss. Everybody is going to experience this. Young, old, it's... it's Sadly, it's a universal feeling. Yeah, it's it a universal theme. And of course, um, Michael, you know, with this horrible, horrible trick of fate, after we finished the Emmys, Michael told me he was diagnosed with cancer. And I said, this is, can't, can't be, you know, you just, it just can't be. We were, we were so busy writing fiction that one day we're not living it. Right. Right. How strange, <sighs> how strange. It's, it, it still kills. It still kills me. And, but the story's not over. No, it's not. Because um, there's I, a third season that you guys wrote. Right. Yes? Michael and I wrote season two and season three back to back. And the idea was, to do them together. And then scheduling didn't allow that. So we figured we would just do season three in 2020. Mm. We didn't allow for scheduling either. (laughs) And that's where uh, Riley's Unforgettable School Project was born, um, which is a short, using all the characters of uh, After Forever. And this is, I think, the best season of all of them. I mean, it's great to have backstory. It's great to see what the juicy stuff was in the middle. But Brian goes to therapy. Oh. He gets some help. And... um, there's some nasty anger that comes out in therapy sessions. I can imagine. That is going to open the door to some serious scenes. And Jason's there, because who talks to Jason? Right, Brian. right. The show, by the way, if you haven't seen the show and you're listening, the show is, is it, it's depicted on three levels. It's uh, current time, which is the now. And you get to see where Brian is in his life. Flashbacks of where Brian and Jason and their relationship to see how they were together. And then there's a way of... Um, Brian's trying to work out the loss in his own way, and he conjures up Jason in his imagination and asks him questions. We don't really see him talking to himself, but it's... But that's what's happening. Jason is present at all times. And I will say, when someone dies, they're not gone. Right. They're they're right here in your head. They're right between your ears. You are talking to them. So you better heal that conversation, that (laughs) relationship now, because when they go... You better have a good. No, it's so true. It's so true. Uh, when do you think you're going to have you have you even started to shoot season uh, three? Because it would be so difficult in COVID. I well, think. it is, and it we're is. almost out of it now. I think. I think. Knock on wood. <laughs> knock, knock on something. Yeah. The COVID thing is just something we have to live with, and that's that. And yeah, it's going to cost us more money now to budget this thing out. So. If anybody would like to donate to season three of After Forever, please contact Randy. You know, I just spoke to Trevor LaPaglia, 
and Rich Burns from The Disappointments, which, by the way, I told Rich to get in touch with you because <laughs> they were looking like to try and shop their series, The Disappointments, around. I'm like, well, y'all, if anyone knows about taking something from A to B to C to D, it is Kevin Spiritus. Uh, but they were they just did a crowdfunding thing for their season two, and I think they shot their first season on a super tight budget. They just raised twice as much, and they said the new season is going to cost more yeah. because of COVID, and we have to you have to take things into account and blah, blah, blah. So just, you know, but, but no one complained. They're just like, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Or we don't do it. Or we don't do it. So yes, we're supposed to begin on April, the last week of April. Oh, and awesome. The first week of May. I told Mitchell Anderson, I'm sorry that we stopped the momentum and couldn't get it done at an earlier time, which we were supposed to do last year. And uh, there was a, a flood in one of our major sets, so we couldn't do it. So things happen for a reason. But Mitchell said, I'm running two restaurants. I'm cooking. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of sad to admit this, but I'm really glad it didn't happen yet. Uh, I said it's getting ready to happen. He goes, I'm ready. Uh, I wanted to mention. I was so frustrated. Like two weeks ago, you did an appearance at Green Room Forty Two in New York City. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Kevin, I was so ready to. I love that they now stream these things from like. Uh, Green Room 42 or 54 Below. And I knew from your posts on social media, I put on my calendar and I'm like, I am going to pay my $25, my 90 whatever it was. And I'm going to watch Kevin Spiritus talk about himself. And it, it was a podcast. <laughs> which host. He, does, which and, he does very well. And, you, and you're going <laughs> to sing and everything. And 30 minutes before the event starts, here I am on the West Coast. I go log in and I'm going to pay because I know they're going to stream it. And they would not let you buy a streaming ticket within 30 minutes of the thing. I got on the phone and I called the box office. I'm like, excuse me, excuse me, but I know Kevin Spiritus. I really have to be able to see this thing. And and they said, well, we'll have the box office lady call you. P.S. She never did. Never did. But I was so mad because I was so ready. I love that. First of all, I love that you did that. I love that the Broadway community, the entertainment community, has figured this Zoom or streaming thing out. So that guys like you can do concerts, that you can still sing and dance and do stuff with us and tell stories. And we can throw some money at you guys and still be entertained and we're sitting at home. But I wish I'd been there because I know you told some awesome stories and I know you sang and you got to talk about, for those listeners who don't know, among Kevin's many Broadway appearances, one appearance that kind of was an appearance that should have been an appearance and he knows what I'm about and, and to too say. too bad the appearance wasn't, well, <laughs> it's this season I'm doing music, man. <laughs> and Exactly. I'm like, why didn't they call you? Kevin was the standby for Hugh Jackman in The Boy From Oz. There Kevin was, ready. Ready. There I was. He's, there I was, watching. He never missed ready. a show. He never missed a show. And when he finally went on vacation, which is normally when the understudy gets a chance to do a week of the shows, they thought, we're just going to shut down. And I'm like, you have Kevin Spirit. People come see yeah, Kevin Spirit. They, they didn't realize who they had. <laughs> but, um, but I will say this. They, they did realize that people were coming to see Hugh. Yeah. And of course. And I saw it. I mean, he was brilliant. And he was. Music just, Man right now was. is all about Hugh Jackman. Yeah, and I love Sutton Foster, but everyone's saying, oh, it's just, Hugh is just. You know. You know the great thing about that is that I was supposed to be there to witness what went on stage every night. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be there to watch this consummate professional step into his mission of touching people, of, of entertaining people, and of loving what he does so other people 
love him as well. I love the experience. And it goes right back to the after for everything. You know, Michael and I set out to do something that we knew was personal to us. It meant something to us. And several producers said, you know, you should just sell the pilot of this. And wait, why not do the whole series? Because we're going to be in the kitchen, do all the kitchen scenes, just like they're doing on the sets of um, daytime now. And <laughs> Michael and I both knew that because we've been in the business so long, if we sold this, they're going to replace me and Michael. We're not going to be showrunners. They're, they're going to give Rob Lowe will be called and John <laughs> Stamos and, um, <laughs> and they'll get another head writer. Mm -hmm. So we knew how the show was supposed to be. We knew what it was supposed to sound like and look like and feel like and, and move you like. And I think that that was our commitment to ourselves. And back to the green room 42, Patrick Jones who I met on a cruise ship because I was a guest entertainer and he was, I really, he was not, he was on the ship as a um, lead singer. He it basically felt like the Merv Griffin show without Merv, yeah. you know, come out, Kevin Spirit is. And then we'd go back to the table and we'd talk and he'd ask me some questions and, and it was good. It was good to review it. It was good to stand in it. It was good to acknowledge where I've been and how I kind of like didn't really maybe believe that it would all be there. Well, you know, the premise of his podcast, as I understand it, is about, and the reason why you are a perfect fit, is it's about... Well, I'll never make it. Yeah. I'll never make it. And, and how people create their own, either or they do or they don't create their own opportunities. I really, really, uh, I was just telling a friend the other day, the business has changed so much that I don't know what's going on. I don't have a clue. You can't read the trades fast enough to know everything that's going on. You can't get enough sound bites from deadline.com. This just announced, this just in. I'm kind of overwhelmed by it. I just have to trust. And that's kind of what Michael gave to me and Hugh Jackman gave to me. You have to trust what's happening in front of you. That's a very good way to put it. I, being a journalist now, I write every day for Instinct Magazine and I have my blog, The Randy Report. I'm overwhelmed. Do you know... I'm at my desk probably 10 hours a day mm -hmm. and I'm reading nine hours a day <laughs> because you, you can't write unless you're informed, but you have to like go and research and you have to like look at different, you, first of all, you have to have the facts and you want to see different sides of, of a story Absolutely. or opinions. Absolutely. But I'm with you. Like when it comes to show business these days, you, you're reading deadline, you're reading radar, you're reading variety, you're reading Hollywood reporter. You, it is so hard to keep up. And then I cover so much music because I make a point of, giving exposure to out singer-songwriters uh, because there's not a lot of out there for them. When when I see nominations and I don't know some out recording artists that just got nominated, I'm like, Wait, how did I not know them? Right, I'm right. like, I'm the out music guy practically right now. And, but it's it's a constant thing with, with social media and everything now is just trying to keep up on top of things. Uh, it it is, and but what I love is what you just said is you you just have to do what's in what's in front of you. You have to well, you also have to create what's in front of you. And this is I I mentioned this during the podcast. You have to have a very strong intention, and you have to know what that you have to be committed to that intention, whatever it is, wherever you are, in whatever field you may be pursuing. Within that intention, that which you focus upon becomes your life. That which you stand in becomes your life. Word, word, word. Yeah. I, I really believe that. And we create the next moment, the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next month and year of our lives, because it's where we're focusing. And if someone is focusing on 
no, 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 you're wrong. And I'm going to be right. I mean, you're going to be, you're just, that's not right. I'm right. That's going to be their trajectory. Exactly. Oh my God. That is so wise that you just said. And when your life is filled with that, you're not creating anything. Right, right. And Jackman's like, mate, this is the best thing in the world. Don't you love being here? <laughs> yes, we all love being here. Words, they are very, very powerful. I, this is going to be a 10 second thing. I remember being last time I was in Chicago, the musical on tour, and there were people who literally had to bitch about something every day. Bitch, and you know, friends of mine, but every minute around them was bitching about what something the producers did, bitching about how somebody did that or criticizing this. And I remember being there and not to sound like a Boy Scout, but Kevin, I was like, I'm just happy to be here. I'm getting to do what I really you like I to know. do. You and I know <laughs> wherever we are and we're working, it came because we we had to work for yeah. it. Yeah. Circling back to even, you know, a course line, there was not a single night that I stood on stage that the key change happened. We all drop our arms. We face <laughs> the second balcony because that's how Michael <laughs> Bennett said to do it. And you sing the last verse. And there was not a single night after... I went through periods of unemployment where it didn't come. You know, my first big break was being Mistopheles in the National Tour of Cats back when it was good credit. And I jokingly say, but, you know, I was supposed to be something when I came back to New York, and I wasn't. I never, ever, when I sang what I did for love, not to sound like a Boy Scout, but I, when you've been unemployed, when, when it's been that time, you suddenly it all means that much more. There's a whole new level to working and doing what you do that you love, whether it is acting or writing or whatever it is. So many people spend so much time bitching. And I just want to go, guys, can we lose the cynicism for a second? Because we're lucky to be here. Yeah. I was just talking about this earlier. That's the kind of thing that comes with age. You just know, just stay away from that energy. You don't even like have to give it, you don't even have to acknowledge it. Yeah, no, you're right. Because the acknowledgement is, oh, now they've hooked me. Right. <laughs> now, there's going to be shit to talk about. There's going to be really upsetting stuff to talk about. Don't sweat the small stuff, folks. Right. Move on. Right. Pick up the dance bag. Get across stage. <laughs> <laughs> that's not my dance bag. That's my dance bag. Why are you picking up no, my dance bag? Like, you know, I, remember, I remember when Michael was in, uh, Michael Slade was in hospice. This is back in um, 2020, mm -hmm. November. Um, my first day of landing in Connecticut and driving to the hospice center, I get in the car and they've announced that Anne Reinking has died. Oh, I know, I know. Now, I, look, I just saw your face. Come on. She touched all of our hearts. Mm -hmm. And that's the day that I, so now I'm forced to think about when is the last time I saw Anne. Mm -hmm. I know we did Bye Bye Birdie in St. Louis with Tommy and I had to, and I went, no, I, I saw her, I saw her four years ago and she asked me what I was doing. She said, how's it going? Mm -hmm. What's going on? I said, I'm doing this. Oh, just like me. I'm not worried about you. Keep it up. And she sort of like anointed me and left. Yeah. We don't know. We don't ever know when our last meeting will be with right. anybody. Nope. So, Quit your bitching. Yes. And acknowledge the people who yeah. they are. Love on them, and be clean about it. I mean, I love you, Randy. I love you know you and Michael are, are dearest and nearest, and I don't see you all the time, but you know we have that. We all have that understanding. And what I love about us, though, is uh, <laughs> what I love about us. Whatever we do, <laughs> we always are the same people. You know, I I say this whenever I see Vanessa Williams, who's a dear friend of mine. We went to school together. 
people ask me and I always go, the thing about my favorite people, especially from my showbiz career, is we're always the same people to each other when we see each other, whether it's been 10 years, eight years, whatever, this, that. I was on an Atlantis cruise, I guess in 2019, 2018, 2019. Vanessa was the surprise celebrity performer, you know, the way they do. I remember I was in the the lounge with the entertainment director, like on a Tuesday and goes, now don't tell anyone, but but Vanessa Williams is flying in tomorrow. She's going to be, I'm like, Vanessa Williams, I pull my phone down, I text Vanessa, we text each other. I'm like, you're coming to the boat? She goes, are you on the boat? I'm like, yeah, I'm on the boat. She goes, what should I wear? It's not a boat. It's a ship. It's a ship. And I've been corrected on that. Yes, I thank know. you. Michael's amazing. He's so amazing. Get it together. Get it but, together. So Wednesday, she arrives. We see each other. And she's just with her band. She doesn't have a manager or her husband there with her. She's Vanessa went independent. But the reason I bring it up is she's doing her sound check. We go to the theater for the sound check. And I have my glass of wine with me. It's like 530. I've been day drinking, maybe. <laughs> and she goes, um, oh, listen, um, I'm going to sing that song from that show we did in college. Would you get up and dance? And I'm like, uh... <laughs> To what and what steps and and I didn't want to say no and it's Vanessa and so in a story that I'll share with other people some other day I, yeah I in, I had nowhere to go rehearse I said I put up my phone and I let her play the band play and I had an hour and a half no place to dance so in my head I'm like going uh Fosse 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 but you you do it. But she just trusted me. The whole reason I'm telling this story is she just trusted me to get up and do it. So I get up in front of 1,500 people, gay men who are ready to tear you apart, probably, if you're not any good. And But Vanessa... Because they want a bitch. About because they want a bitch. And I had this amazing... I got up and danced with Vanessa. I bet and it went great. The unknowing... You still had to trust that it was coming. And, and and the awesome thing was Vanessa trusted me. That's what, w w when we have these friendships. But do you like, trust you? That's, that, <laughs> I'm, and I'm, I'm being funny. Yeah. When I was at I the green know. room, sound is a very, very important thing when it comes to a live show. And sometimes you are, you're a little further back and the sound goes over your head or you're not hearing the, the monitor correctly or the piano drops out. And I was at the green room and I, the piano dropped out two times, uh, early in the show and then later. I know Eugene Gwoge was right there. He was banging <laughs> on those keys, but you can't hear it when you're in your head singing your song. And I got this distinction about just keep singing like it's okay. Like this is how fast it comes to you. Because mm -hmm. I have to trust that that, what's that on um, Raiders of the Lost Ark when he's stepping onto the invisible stones? And yes. He has to trust it. Yeah. We have to do that for ourselves. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to just implode. Yep. No, it's true. It's true. Listen, I'm going to let you go because we can talk forever and, and I'll just have a three-hour podcast episode, which is not so bad because we can talk about a lot of things. I so appreciate you having the time to chat about this. And I'm so excited about seeing what happens with Dr. Craig Wesley on Days of Our Lives. I want to see where they take this. I don't know how long you were on the show. I don't know if you know, but I hope that they're going to give you time to give this storyline the respect that it should get. I will say this. I will say this. I think I think because the players who are involved in the storyline are um, Nadia, uh, Patrika, myself, Eric Martsoff, I just think we've stepped up to it. We've just stepped right up to it. We're, we're supposed to do that. There's some beautiful stuff that's being acknowledged, I think. I think it's some of the best work I've ever done after after forever. But, um, I, you know, I think it's really, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. And I think you're going to enjoy it. Well, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see what happens next. And I just love you, Kevin. Thank you so much for having I time to chat. Thank you, Michael, my best too.
So as I alluded to earlier, when Kevin and I first connected for this interview, we chatted for a few minutes about other theater experiences we'd had. And normally, I tell my interview subjects, okay, now we start. And all that comes before the official beginning gets edited out because it's not on topic. But I mentioned the pre-chat with some listeners, and they encouraged me to leave it in, as folks who are interested in show business might find what I call backstage babble something to listen to. So, here's what I call a bonus chat. Here's the first few minutes when Kevin and I connected on Skype. Just for full disclosure with the listeners, I've known Kevin Spiritus forever. <laughs> Ever. So if you hear us laugh, after forever. We were Batman and Robin in a course line together. So <laughs> Gosh, we had to bring it up, didn't we? Oh, okay. we did. Do you okay. do you know what I never told you? Really quick factoid. So that I did that I was the best turn turn out in hold. Best ever. And you could you when I first met you, you were still Kevin Blair, I think. Yeah, in a yeah. chorus line on the Broadway, on and the Broadway. you were filling out those lycra jazz pants. I have to say, now you could wear oh, a pair of jazz pants. Lycra. Those weren't lycra. <laughs> those were air pumped. Was... <laughs> I can't believe we do. We go back very. We very go back. Far. Well, you know, good times. Good times. Now, I would love to be coy. We're going to talk about a few other things, but I'd love to be Hold coy. On. You didn't say. No. You said you were going to tell me something, and then you. Oh, I was going to tell you. So. Uh, <laughs> This is so funny. Who's doing this interview? So the, <laughs> the last time we did the, the chorus line play together, uh, you were Zach, I was Larry. Oh, and our Cassie was Catherine Murphy, who was brilliant. You two together were like firing. You were so great together. Yeah. The next time I staged the show, non-traditional casting, they had a Cassie, and Catherine was my Larry. Laura. Really? Yes. And she was awesome. She, I'm sure she was awesome, but I'm sure she was chomping at the bit to do those turn, turn out. But in. There was a part I, of her. She says like, you know, I'm God. Cause she had done it like eight times at that point. The theater that we worked at was a uh, Sacramento music circus. And I'd worked there the several round. times in the round, in the, a course line in the round, <laughs> a course circle. course circle. Yeah. And they loved Kat and she assisted me on everything and they wanted to find a place for her, but they had the Cassie. And I think it was Glenn Casal who came up with it. He said, what do you think about Larry? Would she even do it? And I said, I think she'd do it. And she, of course, you know Kat and her actor mind. She brought all this backstory. Like, it wasn't just regular Larry. Laura, did Laura have her own relationship with Zach? Did, was she jealous of Cassie? Did she, she brought all this stuff. And then she did the finale. We didn't have the costumes because, you know, the costumes come in a package. So she wore Larry's tuxedo male oh, jumpsuit. Uh, yeah. Which, and she was brilliant. I loved it. She's first one out, and she dropped all that big red hair, and the audience screamed. I have to tell you something about her. First of all, when you and I have done the show as many years, or we've known the show as many years yes. as we have, you know who brings it to the theater every night? You know who has jumped in and, and um, devoured? Even if they've known the show for years, they've got some way to keep it fresh. And you could always tell with the Cassies or the, or the, the Zacks or the anyone Sheila's you just knew and people were just sort of phoning phoning it in yeah and, and yeah. she is not a phoner in her no she is not you're, and you're not you're not either you're not oh, either. well thank and you I, for and that. I would like to say I'm not either but um, no you're not oh I, I will say this doing Zach 
It was such a relief after all those years of having to do all that dancing. I can just That's imagine. Right. Yes. You know, the first time I started doing singing roles in musical theater, I when I did Into the Woods for the first time as Jack, which is a role I wanted to do forever, and the, the theater brought me in to do Baby John and West Side Story and Jack and Into the Woods back to back. And we were doing Into the Woods first. And it was one of those things where, you know, when you bust your ass so long as a dancer, like your your prep at the theater, we all have our thing that we do and we, you know, you get ready and no one was like warming up physically. And I'm out in the wings, like with my sweats on warming and I'm just playing Jack. I'm not going to dance at all. But and I remember thinking, wow, like. Like, y'all don't do any of this stuff. Because <laughs> I can't get ready for a show without getting in touch with the physical, too. Even if I'm not dancing, it's a thing. I think there is something. It's Then why come to the theater? Right. <laughs> I'm serious, you know. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I've got two hours to kill. Let me just stop in the Schubert. Let me see if I can do a show. No, that's not it. I think we have the opportunity to not reinvent, but to relive something or to re-experience something over and over and over again, yeah. but you find the new, the nuances that will, I don't know, touch you personally. I, I remember, and what I did for love, that song has changed over and over and over, finding moments in my life. And I was just doing um, One Night Only, Palm Springs, and Lucy Arnaz saying what I did for love. Uh, and I wept. I just wept. Because it's a different story for her, and she's not even in the show. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that song, like, and we're going to get to all this other stuff. I but I, it's it's so easy for you I and I to two hours. Let's just you know the, listen. <laughs> these things. It's funny though how, especially that show, and no matter where you are, I recently recorded like backup vocals for Matt Zarley, who put it. He's putting on a new album. I did. Too. Are you did too? Oh my god! And there was a part of me, and I kept putting it off because I wasn't getting to it. And I wanted to make sure. You know, I got this right. And boy, man, you start singing that stuff again. And I don't care what age you are, when you've done it, it Something just like means that. so much. And I remember thinking when I first heard the song in the 70s and I was just a kid and I was just discovering musical theater, I just thought it was a pretty song. It was a cool song. And, you know, they sang it well. And then you you do the show and you understand the breakdown that there's acting beats here and there's something going on, but then you live with it. And when you live that's, with that's it, the best, that's the best way to put it. When you live with it, <laughs> you just can't get, get past it without feeling all of that again. No, you can't. Let me ask you this. And then we can get off of a chorus line. Don't you find I, I, every time I, I say to my, the woman who plays my music, um, <laughs> I won't say it, her name now, when I play a chorus line, the original Broadway cast, Dun, 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 dun. Again, that sends me into this state of, I can smell where I was when I first heard mm -hmm. that song. I can smell the theater when I first saw the show. I There was a romance to that time period. I, I can't explain it. No, it, no, it is. It's, it's, it's a visceral feeling. And I go, it's like we are up and deep in very narrow stairway. I just, I hear it and I get pulled into it and I am... I am just liberated by having been part of that. Yeah. I went to um, see Robin Lyon. Uh, oh, yeah. I did Robin Lyon down in the desert. She did her her concert um, down there. And um, Melissa Randall and Troy Garza. <laughs> you know, yes. Well, of course, I'm reunion. Okay. Of course, Lyon, we love you. Yep. Oh, well, you know, one more thing I'm going to say is that when <laughs> I stage this show, I have to say that because you mentioned how what these things, 
when I staged the show now, it's funny, it's not even a number that ever had, you know, I played Mark and then I was a Bobby. But, um, and then a Larry. But, and I went on once for Mike and seven times for Richie. But, and five times for Al, which was the hardest thing for me because I was afraid <laughs> of being Al. You were an Al once, weren't you? Were you no, ever an no, Al? I, I, we always a Mike? Mark, I did a Mark uh, once to, uh, someone was sick and I understudied him and then I did Mike. Yeah. And then, and then the Zach. But you know, for me, the most poignant thing, and you just referenced it is, is when I direct the show now yeah. and we get to at the ballet. Yeah. When yeah. you really, because you know, these lyrics up a steep and very narrow stairway, these three women are talking about the fact that they would rather be in a stinky, <laughs> smelly, creaky ballet studio because they found happiness there because their home life. When you think of what we all did learning to dance, you know, dancing's hard. It, you're not standing at a piano and singing, and God bless singers, it's hard. For those to of you who are listening, you can't see our faces when we just say, <laughs> dancing is hard. Dancing we is hard. We did the uh, um, Macaulay, Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and when I speak to these actresses, the Sheila and the Maggie and the Bibi, and we, you know, we have to break those things down so we can kind yeah. of bring it yeah. out. And I inevitably now have actors say, Randy, you've got to stop crying. <laughs> because I can't go into that material without it just organically coming up. It, it runs through you. It, does. it runs through you. And I bet you, I bet you you've directed some great, well, thank great you. productions. Thank you. As you do with everything. I want to remind folks, you can catch up on the past several weeks of episodes of days of our lives for free on PeacockTV.com for free. And tune in this week as we find out how, what, and where Dr. Craig Wesley lands on his current journey. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you would share it with your friends. I like to think of The Randy Report as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter, usually. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you next time. 